All right, good morning, everybody. Thank you for joining us this morning here at my house at Cypress Ship Center. My name is Dave Everett, and we're going to be continuing our teaching this morning on being established in righteousness. This is part seven. Uh, we are still only almost halfway done with this series. As I mentioned before, we have actually six segments in this series. We're on segment number three right now. Uh, we probably won't finish this week. We'll probably go to next week, and then we'll start set, set, segment number four. So this segment we're talking about, we're emphasizing being established in the fullness of his love. And I'm connecting the fullness of his love, I'm connecting his love with righteousness, because they are so intertwined, uh, they're almost one and the same. So anyway, we'll, we'll get into that in just a minute. Just so you know, all of our teachings are archived on our website, lighthousediscipleship.org, as well as our YouTube channel, Lighthouse Discipleship Center. We also want to say thank you to all those who partner with us with their tithes and their offerings. In case you're wondering how to do so, you can simply go to our, our website at lighthousediscipleship.org. Go to the Give page on the top right corner. It's high up there. It's a blue button, and you can give from there. And all the instructions are there. So you can give them anywhere around the world uh, right through there. So anyway, with all that said, let's go ahead and jump right into our series this morning. So we are uh, in part seven of our series overall. We're in part two of the second just. Uh, third segment talked about being established in the fullness of his love. So I'm going to do a little bit of recap of what we talked about last week. Um, so we started out from 1 John chapter 4 where it says, Beloved, let us love one another for love is of God and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God and he who does not love does not know God for God is love. Okay, so I'm not going to rehash a lot of that we, we talked a lot of that last week. And it goes on in verse 9, in this, the love of God was manifested towards us. Okay, it's important that we know that we abide in God, and God is love and all that. That's all important. We talked about that already. Okay, but in this, the love of God was manifested. God's love was manifested in us in this, that God sent his only begotten Son next to the world that we might live through him. <coughs> this is the purpose of God's love. God's love. Was manifested in this that he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for us so that he, God, may live his life through us. So that we, excuse me, I said that backwards. What I said was true, but that we, we might live our life through him. That's the core of, that's the purpose of why God manifests his love. Not just because God's a loving God, and that's true, I don't mean to say it in that context, but I say it in that context because that's a lot, a lot of people respond to me when they say, well, I know God loves me. By the fact that they responded in that tone that I just used, tells me they don't know God's love. Okay, God doesn't just love you because he's loving. God loved you so that he that we might live our lives through him. This was always plan A. This was God's always attention from the beginning when God walked with Adam in the cool of the garden, before the fall, before there was sin, before there was a barrier, before we were alienated from God, before death reigned, before the law came, before all the stuff and junk came. God wanted us to live our life through him. Adam messed it up and we... We've all participated in that mess up. Okay, so uh, we can point the fingers at everybody who's ever lived. But Jesus came to clean it up. 
Jesus came to restore us into right relationship with God, which is the definition of righteousness. Righteousness is a right relationship with God. Okay, the purpose of righteousness is not just so you go to heaven and avoid hell. That is a major, major benefit. And I'm not trying to water it down by saying it that way. But people water down the major purpose of salvation and, and righteousness by, by narrowing it down to just going to heaven and not hell. That is a major benefit, but that's not the main purpose. The main purpose, God wants a relationship with you. And in that, he, you will experience a, a relation face-to-face -face with him in heaven. <coughs> and you will avoid a godless hell. Now, if your only reason for getting saved is so that you avoid hell and go to heaven, you're selfish. Okay? Wait for all the religious cows to, to stop over. Because if your only reason for getting saved is because of you, fire insurance for you, but you don't want any relationship with God, then you miss the whole point of Christianity. You miss the whole point of the cross. You miss the whole point of heaven and hell. You miss the whole point of everything. The cornerstone is a relationship with God that was not possible because of sin. And one of the major benefits is that we get to avoid hell and go to heaven. And nobody wants to go to hell, and everybody wants to go to heaven. That is all true. But the main point, see, Jesus said in John 17, 3, this is eternal life, that you know me, that you know God, and you know that Jesus is the Son. I'm paraphrasing it, okay? The main, eternal life is knowing God. And if you take knowing God out of the equation, you miss what eternal life is all about. Okay? I'm not trying to water down heaven. I'm not trying to water down uh, the importance of avoiding hell. But I'm also not magnifying it above a relationship with God. Okay? And I'll, I'll preach that. I'll pre I mean, that's what I'm here to preach. And God manifests His love towards us. He manifests for us. That God sent His Son, Jesus, into the world that we might live life through Him. Okay? So again, that we might live our life through Him. For I'm crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. Why? Because God wants to live. <coughs> Excuse me. God wants us to live our life through Him. That's why we're crucified with Christ. That's, what we, that's the reality of the equation. He echoes it in his prayer to Ephesians. <coughs> Excuse me. Let me bitch that cough. That, he echoes the same thing, that Christ will dwell in your hearts. To dwell, to live. Through, in him we live and we move and we have our being. Okay, so, And we do this through faith. See, going back here, that we Christ is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me by faith. And it's echoed here in this prayer that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you're being rooted, that you're being established, grounded in love. To know, to experience intimately the love of Christ which surpasses intellectual knowledge that you may be what? Filled with the fullness of God. What's this fullness of God? It goes back to Christ living in us. We live in through Him. It's according to that we might be filled with the fullness of God. Do you need healing? You have the fullness of the healer. Do you need provision? You have the fullness of the provider. 
Do you need deliverance? You have the, the fullness of the, the deliverer. Do you need wisdom? Do you, you have the fullness of God of all wisdom? Whatever you need to do what God has called you to do, you have his fullness. Okay? And it's based on this, that the next verse is now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. And I'll come back to that in a minute. According to the power that works in us. What power is working in us? Because this, this is according to the power that works in us. What's the power? It's fullness. You can't get more powerful than that. You put all the nuclear bombs, atoms together, and everything, all the power sources in this world together, it doesn't, it doesn't even come close to the fullness of God. Almighty God, His fullness. And He's able to do all that we ask, above and beyond, exceedingly, abundantly. What do we ask? I think according to His fullness. Why? Because He manifested his love towards us. That we might live our life through him. God never intended us to live this life without him. So many of us are praying in our prayers in our churches. Lord, come. He never left. You did. He said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. God has always been here. There's only one place God has never been and will never be. Jesus was there for three days. But that's, that's the longest trip I'll ever take there. And that is hell. A godless hell. And even that hell, even the, even the waiting place, even Hades, is not the bottomless pit that, that's coming. Where God will never be. And he didn't create it for any man. He created it for the devil and his angels. But those who reject this love, We'll go there. It's not because God's not merciful. No. They rejected his mercy. They rejected his propitiation. They rejected his goodness. They rejected life itself. Okay. And it's basically, so, so in this, the love of God was manifested towards us that God sent his son, or he got son, into the world that we might love, live through him. And this is love. So the love of God was manifested in this way. This is how it was manifested. Well, then he tells us what love is. Not that we love God, but that he, we, he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for sin. Love is this. And if you have a different definition of agape love than this, you're wrong. I understand that we, let me go back. We establish the fact that God is love, and that's true. Okay, but this is love that, not that we love God. I'm going to say something I said before, and I'll say it again. I don't care how much you love God. I care how much you understand how much God loves you. And that he sent the Son to be the propitiation for your sins. Because you can't love God. You can't love one another, as we just read a minute ago. Um, where were we at? Um, You can't love one another. You can't love God. You can't love one another as you ought until you understand. Until you know and experience. Going back here to this prayer. Until you know and experience the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. That you're filled with this fullness. This is love. Not that you love 
not that you love God, but that God loves you, and became the propitiation for your sins. And most of us are okay with that. We, we just don't understand what this word propitiation means. Okay? It means a substitute. Jesus died for you. He who knew no sin became sin that you might become the righteousness of God in him. Jesus died for you. He paid the, he paid the, the debt that you owed. He, paid, he, he, he suffered the penalty that you were due. See, salvation is not there. God received the death and punishment that you deserved to give you the righteousness that you did not deserve. That's not fair. It's called grace. It's called mercy. You can't earn mercy. You can't earn grace. Otherwise, it's no longer mercy. It's no longer grace. You can't earn mercy any more than you can have cold fire or dry water. It doesn't work. It's an oxymoron. It doesn't work. But this is love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us and became the propitiation. This propitiation we echo from Romans chapter 3. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in His sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. But now the right of God, apart from the law, is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. We'll spend more time there in later segments. Whom God. <coughs> excuse me. Set forth at the propitiation by his blood through faith, there's that word faith again, to demonstrate his righteousness. Because of his forbearance, God has passed over the sins that were previously committed. Whom God set forth, excuse me, that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time, that's now, his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has what? Faith in Jesus. There's that faith again. Okay? I keep pointing it out because it's going to come up again in just a minute. Okay? So, this is love. Not that we love God, but that He loves us and became the propitiation for our sins. And this propitiation was by His blood, through faith, to demonstrate His righteousness. So that at the present time, He may, he may demonstrate this right. He, so that to demonstrate this right, to demonstrate at the present time His righteousness. That he might be just and the justifier for those who have faith in Jesus. That is love. This is love. This is what propitiation means. This is what love is. It's the propitiation. What's propitiation? Jesus died on the cross for you to demonstrate his righteousness and be just in justifying you. The word justification, the word righteousness, is the exact same word in the Greek. That he might be just in declaring you righteous if you have faith with it by your faith in his grace, by your faith in Jesus. Okay? So that's that's what we, we talked about. We went on in verse John 14, and we know that and believe this love, this propitiation that God has for us, because again, God is love. And he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. That's something we've been repeating. That God wants us to live our life through him. Okay? And, and love has been perfected among us in this. How is love been perfected? That we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Why do we have boldness in the day of judgment? Because Jesus already died for our sins. 
He already paid the penalty. He already paid our debt. Because he paid the debt, we have boldness that God judged Jesus and he will not judge you. God will not commit double jeopardy. God will not judge you for the same sins that Jesus died for. God will not disrespect the cross. God will not blaspheme the cross by judging you for what Jesus, his son, paid for you. And when we know and believe this love, what is love? What is love? That God loved us and sent his son to be provision. This is love. So when we know and believe this love, we have boldness in this. When we, when love has, if we don't have boldness before God, then love has not been perfected in us. It's as simple as that. See, when Adam sinned, did God hide from Adam or did Adam hide from God? See, God never moved. We've been the one hiding. We don't say, Holy Spirit, we welcome you. No, the Holy Spirit says, thank you for letting me in. I've been here the whole time. Thank you for finally paying attention to me. I've been in you. You've been bought with a price. I've been in you. And you don't spend any time with me. God didn't leave. He's been in his fullness is inside of you. But you got to know and experience that love. To experience that fullness. It says in the book of John chapter 1, of his fullness we have received from grace for grace. We have received his fullness. If, something, if you already have the fullness of something, you can't get more. Have you ever poured water in a cup in a spool? You try to put more water in, what happens? It just goes over the brim. You can't get more in the cup. It's full. That's why the Amplified says that when you're, you'll be filled to overflowing with the fullness of God. Anyway, I got to move forward. We moved on. We, we also went back to verse John chapter 3. <laughs> <coughs> that love in our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence towards God. Some of you don't have confidence towards God because your heart's condemning you. Why is your heart condemning you? Because you don't you're not a, you have not been perfected in this love. Okay? Uh, let's go let's go back. And when we have confidence towards God, whatever we ask, we receive from him. Because we keep his commandments. And there's where, there's where the religious folks come back. See, Pastor Dave, it's all about keeping his commandments. Well, what are his commandments? See, I love John. He gives you, he gives you all the answers. He says, this is his commandment. There's no guessing. That, this is verse 22. We go right to verse 23. This is his commandment. That we should believe on the name of Jesus Christ. And love one another. And we know that all the commandments are hinged on the two, loving the Lord thy God with all the heart, soul, and mind, and loving thy neighbor as yourself. All the commandments are hinged on those two. But this is a commandment that we should love, believe on the name of Jesus Christ. And he gave his commandment. Now he who keeps his commandment abides in him and he in him. We've already established that. 
in First John chapter four, we actually went backwards to First John chapter three. Okay, but we know that God sent His Son to be manifested His love. That God, that that God, that we can live our lives through Him. It's all about this abiding in Him. It's all about relationship. Okay. So then we go back to where we were. But we know to believe this love that God is love, and He abides in Him. Abides in God, and God in Him. And love has been perfected us, and we should have boldness to the day of judgment. And when we go on to verse 18, and there's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, and fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. If you see, either you are in faith, or you are in fear. And if you have fear towards God, I'm not talking about the fear of the God or the Lord. The fear of the Lord is reverence, respect, trusting God. There's a difference between the fear of the Lord and fearing God. There's a difference between reverencing, respecting, trusting, relying on, and being totally afraid of something. 365 times the word of God says, do not be afraid. How many times did Jesus rebuke his own disciples? Why did you fear? Because those who fear have not been made perfect in love. Fear is torment. And God is not tormenting us. He's loving us. See, perfect love casts out fear. Fear, fear and, 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 um, and love cannot coexist. It's like oil and water. They do not mix. Okay? So, and then we, and then based on this, we talked about last week how in Christ, neither circumcision or non-circumcision of anything. What does that have to do with anything? Because it, it, he's talking about legalism. He's talking about the law. We are in a new covenant. We, it's, not a matter, it's not a matter whether we're circumcised or not circumcised. But it's faith working through love. <coughs> but we almost got to back there. If you're having a if you're having a faith problem, you don't have a love problem. Because faith works through love. Your love, your love towards God, your love towards others, will not work if you do not have faith in God. If your love has not been perfected in this love, okay? If it hasn't been perfected in his love, if we have not known and believed that love, then our faith won't work. So if you have a faith problem, you actually have a love problem. You can trust someone you know who you know loves you. But there's a difference between knowing about his love. Oh, I know God loves you. There's a difference between that attitude, oh, I know God loves me, versus being perfected in that love. Being grounded, being a, because that's what we're talking about. We're talking about being established in the fullness of his love. I'm not talking about just intellectual knowledge. I'm talking about being established, grounded, rooted, established in his, the fullness of his love. Okay? So hopefully we, we accomplished that so far. So now we're going to get some new territory that was all recapped from last week. So based on everything we talked about in Second Corinthians chapter five, we've already spent some time in here in previous weeks and other segments. But I, I had to talk about everything about love. I had to establish what love is, 
so that we can understand this. For the love of God compels us. What's the love of God? Not that we love him, but that he loved us and became the propitiation of our sins. This is love. Okay? That's what this verse says. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. This is love. And this love, this love compels us to come to a conclusion, to a judgment, that if one died for all, then all died. Okay, so let's go back here. What's love? <coughs> love is not us loving God. God. Love is God loving us and dying for our sins as our propitiation. What's the propitiation? God, by his blood, through faith, demonstrated his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of those who have faith in Jesus. That's love. So this love compels us. When we are perfecting his love, when we are establishing his love, when we know and believe the love of God, his propitiation for our sins, it compels us. It compels us because we come to this judgment. Peter Cohen, that one died for all, then all died. Because God loved me, I can come to the conclusion I am crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. In the life I, in the life I now live, I live by the faith of God, the faith of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I should have had that verse on the screen. Galatians 2.20. Okay. And it has all the components tied into that same verse. Okay. There's one died, but then all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live themselves. Why is that true? Why is it? Why does he have to tag down in there? We can understand I'm crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ. But why? That those who live should live no longer themselves. Because those of us who have embraced grace, we don't understand this part. That those who live should no longer live themselves, but for him who died for them. Because to us, who understand grace, you, some of you see this as performance. And we're now his slave. Well, I do agree that you are his bondservant. But a, bond, a bondservant is not something that's mandated on you. A bondservant is of the self-will. The only way you can become a bondservant is that you, yourself, make yourself a servant to someone else. It can't be imposed on you. It can't be dictated on you. That's not a bondservant. That's just a servant. Or a slave. Paul says, I'm a bondservant. Romans chapter 1, verse 1. Bonson. Okay, okay. Let's get out that treadmill. Okay. Because Jesus died for all, and all died, I mean, if all died, because I'm part of the all, you're part of the all, nobody listening to my voice is not included in that three-letter word, A-L-L, all, I'm not talking about laundry detergent, all, that died. And he died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them. This is not legalism. 
This is not performance. This is not going back to the law. What is this? This is God living in us. And we live in God. We've known and believed and loved God that he who abides in love abides in God. It's also this in verse 9. That we might live through him. It's an ongoing thing that God's love was manifested towards us. Okay? Remember? The love of God compels us to come to this conclusion that I died. We all died. And so therefore I live for him. Why? Because he manifested love toward me through his son who died for me that I, that we might live our life through him. <coughs> this is not performance. This is a relationship. Get performance out of your mentality. God's not impressed. You cannot earn and impress God. God wants you to know one thing. His love. God wants you to just go back and know and believe this love. God wants you to be established in this love. This love that was manifested towards you that you might live your life through Him. And this love come. This love compels you to come to this conclusion that you are going to live your life through Him. That's what this is me. Okay? Verse 16. Therefore, because that's true, once we get that established, therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Why? Even me, I don't, I don't regard you according to the flesh according to Christ. Why? Why? You died! Why am I going to regard a dead man or woman? I'm not regarding a dead person. You died in Christ. You don't live for yourself. I don't live for myself. I'm living my life through Him. So are you. We, that we, plural, might live our lives through Him. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh. What does that mean? Christ did live on the earth for 33 and a half years. We're celebrating Christmas right now. He was born of a virgin, and he did live a natural life. He wasn't from Adam's seed. He was, of a new, he was a second Adam, born and conceived by the Holy Spirit. Okay? But we did know him according to the flesh. Yet now we know him that's no longer about the flesh, because he's the risen Christ. He's ascended, and he's sitting down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... And there's over 300 scriptures in the New Testament talking about who we are in Christ. He is a new creation. The love of God compels us. Because this is true. Not only are we living our lives through Him, but the love of God compels us to come to this conclusion that we are a whole brand new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things, all things have What's the newness? We'll get there a little bit later in other segments. But the newness is with the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That's a brand new thing. We put off the old man and we put on the new man who is created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Ephesians chapter 4, chapter verses 20 to 24. We put off the old man and we put on the new man 
who's created who's created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. That's the new man that we put on. So the love of God compels us to come to this conclusion. We die. We now are living our lives through him. Because that's true, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. I, I'm crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, it's Christ who lives in me. I'm not, because I'm in Christ, I'm not in the flesh, I'm in Christ. I am a new creation. And I need to behold, I need to see with the mind. I need to gaze on, I need to focus on, I need to put my attention to that I'm a new creation. I'm a new creation. I don't live the same. I don't have the same desires. I'm not a sinner. I'm the righteousness of God in Him. I'm beholding something new. And we're going to have a whole, uh, the very last segment of this whole teaching. We'll talk about beholding. We'll go a lot more detail with that. Okay? And then it goes verse 18. Now all things are of God. <coughs> Excuse me. Who had reconciled us to Himself through Jesus Christ and had given us some ministry of reconciliation. They've already talked about this at length in other segments. But the ministry of reconciliation is the ministry of the Spirit. And it is a ministry of righteousness. Because chapter 5 is only two chapters after chapter 3. Okay? It's all the same context. Don't start making it a different context just because it's a new chapter. This was a scroll. This was an epistle. Okay? But the ministry of reconciliation is the ministry of the Spirit. It is the ministry of righteousness. They are synonymous. Okay? That is, that God was in the world reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Okay? Now, then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God was pleading through us, as we implore you on Christ's behalf to be reconciled to God. I just want to look at my notes here, making sure I'm not glossing over something too fast here. Um... Anyway, so let me just back up just a little bit. So, because this is true, because we are a new... Let's get back to where I want to be. Yeah, I think that's that far back. Because we are a new creation, okay? Because this is true, that's verse 16 and 17. Now, when's now? Now. Now all things are of God who has reconciled who? Us. To himself through Jesus Christ. We've been reconciled. God's already done the job. Okay? And he's given us the ministry of reconciliation. God's already reconciled that. And he's already given us the ministry of reconciliation, which is the ministry of the Spirit, which is the ministry of righteousness. Okay? That is... What is this ministry of reconciliation? The ministry of righteousness? That, <coughs> excuse me, that God was in Christ reconciling not just us, but God was reconciling the world to himself. God? What does that mean? What do you mean? What does Paul mean? That God was reconciling the world to himself. Jesus only died one time. Let's go back. Let's go back. Verse 14. That if one died for who? All. Then all died. Are you telling me that the, 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 the lost, the wicked worldly people, God, Jesus died for? Yes, I am telling you that. Are you saying that they are saved? 
No, I am not saying they're saved. Why? Because they, let's go back, let me see if I can find it. That he's just, he, he might be just and the just heart who has faith in Jesus. God, through Jesus Christ, has reconciled the world to himself. But the world has not put faith in Jesus. Okay? God's done his part. He's done his part for everybody. For all creation. For everybody. For all. God has, he's, he's not imputing their trespasses to them. However, those, those of us who are in Christ, we receive that propitiation. We receive that reconciliation. We receive that, that, we receive that forgiveness. We receive that love. Okay? But to the world, they have rejected it. They rejected this love. They rejected this reconciliation. They rejected this righteousness. They rejected the grace. They rejected his mercy. Some haven't rejected yet. They just haven't heard about it. They haven't been told it. They've been told a lot of religion. They've been told you got to do this and you got to do that. And you got to do this and you got to do that. That's not love. Love is not, not us loving him. Love is God loving us and being the propitiation for our sins. You can't have faith in God until you first receive His love for you. That's why we are... Let's go forward now. That's why we are ambassadors. We are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us. That we may implore on Christ's behalf to be reconciled to God. Now, that's confusing to some people. How can we be reconciled if God's already done the reconciling? Some of you need accounting 101. Now, I know some of you are in different countries. And I don't know exactly how you manage your, your finances, your books. But in our country, when the bank reconciles their accounts, and they have an account with many members of the bank, they send each member a statement. Because in that subsidiary ledger of my account with, that, with the bank that I banked with, they've reconciled all the accounts. But they'll give me a statement with my account with them. They don't give me a statement of your account or anyone else's account. Just my ledger that's in their book of ledgers. And if what they say I have in the bank account and what I say I have in the bank account don't line up, Houston, we have a problem. If the bank says I have $1,000 and I think I have $2,000, Houston, we have a problem. I'm going to go write a check or a cash or use a card with money I don't have. But the bank says I have $1,000, and I think I have $0. <coughs> I can go the rest of my days not buying groceries and food and different things, 
thinking I have no money when the bank says I have a thousand bucks. See, God has already reconciled the world. He's already paid the price. He's, he, he paid for it at the cross. Jesus is not going to the cross again. He died for the world once and for all. And until Jesus comes again, there's still time to be reconciled to God. What's the rec See, God reconciled the books. What do you mean he reconciled the books? What's the reconciliation? The reconciliation is verse 21, where he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. That's our <coughs> That's what a propitiation is. To be sin for us is a propitiation. That we might become the righteousness of God in him. We're not righteous in ourselves. We are the righteousness of God in him. That's the reconciliation. And we, in this church, in this ministry, from this pulpit, on these airways, we are imploring you to receive his righteousness. How do you do that? Going all the way back by being, knowing his love. What's his love? His love is, if I can find the screen again, is not you loving him, but him loving you and being a propitiation. The propitiation is him dying on the cross for you. Just demonstrate this righteousness that you and I are implored as ambassadors to receive. He made him who knew no sin to be sin. The sin of the whole world. Jesus became not just your sin, but the sin of the whole world. And he did that, uh, verse 14, he did that once and for all. And if we have received this Jesus, we are, no, we are a new creation. All things have passed away. All things have become new. That is the ministry of reconciliation, which is the ministry of the Spirit, which is the ministry of righteousness. And we who have been reconciled, who have received this reconciliation, we are ambassadors to implore others on Christ's behalf to be reconciled to God. What's the reconciliation? That he who knew no sin became sin, that we might become. That we might become. This word become means to be born of. That we might become. How do you become righteous? Receive Jesus. Receive this love. Receive this propitiation. What's the propitiation? He who knew no sin became sin for you. That's propitiation. That's a substitute. That's what a propitiation is. That you might become the righteous of God, not because you're good enough, but you are in Him. You're a new creation. You're born again. You're born of God. You're born again, not a corruptible seed, but of incorruptible seed by the Word of God. 1 Peter 1.23 You crucified with Christ. It's no longer you who live, but it's Christ who lives in you. And the life that you now live, you live by the faith of God who loved you and gave Himself for you. 
you are a new creation. You are a new creation. We come to this whole conclusion because we know the love of God. I'm hoping you've seen how all this connects together. I'm going back and forth because I want you to see how the scriptures intertwine and preach the same message. Let's go back, let's go back, let's go forward. Okay? So, because all this is true, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, that's true. But there's a comma there at the end of verse 23, that's not the gospel. But we've been justified freely by His grace through the redemption that's in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation for our sins through faith to demonstrate His righteousness. To demonstrate at the present time his righteousness, that he might be just and be justified by those who put their faith in Jesus Christ. Again. Okay. I think I'm missing something here on my notes. Okay. I skipped over a whole section. Okay. Alright, so um, now we've already kind of covered some of this already, but I, I want to cover it again. And we even covered it already again. We already covered it in this session, but I'm going to go one more time. That Christ may dwell in your hearts. Okay. The love of God was manifested in this way. I don't have it on there. But manifested in this way that we might live our life through Him. I think that's 1 John 4 16. Christ wants to dwell, He wants to live in our hearts, He wants a relationship with us. He can't have that relationship. He can't dwell in our hearts if we're not if we haven't received him. If we rejected him. If we're not born again, if we're not reconciled with God, if we're not we haven't received his righteousness, he cannot dwell in our hearts. But he wants to dwell in our hearts through faith. That we are so rooted, so grounded, so established in his love. What's his love? That he died for us as our propitiation. That he loves us. It's not about you loving him. It's about him loving you. And when you're established that, you will love him. And you will love others. It will come out. It's a fruit. It's a fruit of the spirit. But you can't get the fruit until you have the root. You have to get rooted first. You got to have the root first. You got to get grounded first. You got to get established in his love. And when you got the root, that fruit will come from the root. Okay? And this is love. Not that we love God, but that He loves us to be sent to be the appreciation of sin. So that's what we're being established. So we're being established and grounded in this love. We're being grounded in what love? We're being rooted and grounded in His love for us and His propitiation. That's what we're talking about, being established in the fullness of His love. So Christ wants to dwell in your hearts to make that you being. He wants, to, he wants to dwell in your hearts, not just to dwell in Him. And hang out and have popcorn. He wants to dwell in your hearts through faith. That you being rooted and grounded in love. He wants to dwell in your hearts so that you can be rooted and grounded in his love. <coughs> What's love? That he died for you. That you can become the righteous of God. That's love. That Christ might dwell in your hearts through love. That you may be able to comprehend with all the saints. What is the width and height, length and depth and height. 
to love the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. God wants to fill you with his fullness. If you, you, you understand that if you have the fullness of God, you are not lacking anything. The creator of the cosmos, the savior of the world, the king of all kings, is dwelling in his, that he's filling you to overflowing, according to the Amplified Bible, with his fullness. How do you get that? You know, you experience, you have intimacy. Because this know and this know are two different knows. This is intellectual knowledge. But this is the same know as it said that Adam knew his wife Eve. Or Mary said, how can this be? Since I've never known a man. We need to know God. This is eternal life that you know. And you know Jesus Christ. Okay? Just picking back to we have known and believed the love of God has for us. That he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. Okay? This is that you might be filled with the fullness of God. God wants you to abide in him and him in you. It's a relationship. It's intimacy with God. It's knowing God. I don't want to be on that day. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. It's not about fire insurance. It's not about walking down an aisle or saying a prayer. And I'm, I'm in all agreement with all that. I'm all for altar calls. I'm all for saying a prayer. But that is not the that is the invitation. That is that that is the RSVP. That is the the, the that's that's where the relationship starts. But the goal of the relationship is a relationship where you are abiding in God and God in you. Okay? It's not just, oh, I, it's, it's not like just getting jabbed with a, uh, some type of Vaseline so that you don't get COVID or whatever. It's not just so you, you say a prayer so you go to heaven and not hell. You know, that, 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 that is the main benefit, main goal. Main, main purpose, but the main purpose is a relationship with God. If you just get your heaven jab and no relationship with God, you missed the boat. You missed the purpose. Am I making sense? I'm just using this COVID as an example. It's not just getting some ticket. It's not just getting some shot. It's not just saying a prayer so that you miss hell and go to heaven. That's how it starts. That's how you receive it. But the, what, what do you receive? What you receive is greater than heaven. And that's a relationship with God. Where you receive of his fullness. You know, you're so grounded in his love. You're so grounded in God. What's love? Again, love is God died for you. You're so rooted and grounded that God died for you. You know to believe this love that God has for you. Because God is love. That you, he abides in you and God and you and God. That you may be filled with the forms of God. 
Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. You know, I said I'd come back to it, but above all that we ask or think. Well, we just talked about that. In first, I want to get first, uh, first John. Above all that we ask or think, if our heart does not condemn us, and we have confidence in God, whatever we ask, we receive from him. That sounds just like that. Just a couple flip of words. Just saying the same thing a couple different ways. According to the title works best. Because we have confidence script God. But then we we read this without finishing the the context where we keep his commandments. Now we go back to the law. That's not what he's saying because he says this is the commandment that we should love the Lord Jesus, love the, believe on the name of Jesus Christ. Let's talk about faith. Believing on Jesus Christ. And loving one another. Abiding in him. And in God. Okay? But we just make sense. A lot of this is repetitive, but it's repetitive on purpose. Okay, I got about 15 minutes, so I'm going to use it. Alright, I want to switch gears a little bit here. I shared all the stuff about love. Now I want to give you a story. Um, a, a parable of Jesus that illustrates everything I've been trying to say. And a little bit more. Okay? Um, so we're going to go to Luke chapter 15. And we'll be looking at the story of the prodigal son. But before we get into the prodigal son, we're going to start at the beginning of the chapter and, and tell you why Jesus gave this parable. Okay. It's important that we, when we read the Word of God, that we understand the context. And Jesus specifically tells us why he gave this parable. Okay. Because this parable is not just about the prodigal son. This parable is actually more about the older son. And we're going to see that. Okay? You follow me? So we begin the context at the beginning of Luke 15. Beginning verse 1. Then all the tax collectors and the, what? Sinners. Okay? So these are worldly people. Sinners. Drew near to Jesus to hear him. You know, I, hear, I see a lot of things on Facebook that we should not be hanging out with sinners. Well, Jesus did not get that memo. Because the sinners, the tax collectors, the ostracized people of the, of the religious people, did not like it. They were drawing near to God. See, the world, it's not that the world doesn't want anything to do with the church, I mean, with, with God. They don't want anything to do with his church. Why? Because they are ostracizing them. You get around some religious people, they are the meanest people on the planet. There's some religious people I want to get the whip out like Jesus did and over church and tables. Okay. So, all the tax collectors and the Pharisees sinners drew near to him to hear him. Not to condone their sin. 
Not to just look the other way, but to listen to him. These, these sinners were more faithful than some church people. They came to listen. They came to hear. And the Pharisees and the scribes complained. They derided him. Listen, we, we got a major problem. Why are you complaining that people are coming to Jesus? Saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So, he, Jesus, spoke this parable to them. He spoke this parable to them because they complained. Not because they were coming. <coughs> but because of their complaint. Now, the first parable, we, we, get, we, we get the parable of the lost coin, then we get the parable of the lost sheep. Okay? But then we pick it up in verse 11. Then he said, after he gave the first two parables, a certain man. So he continued the thought. He, in other words, he gave three parables in response to their complaint. The first one was the lost coin, and I forget which one the coin or the, or the sheep first. But he gave those two simple parables. And then he said, a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there was wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there, there arose a severe famine in the land, and he began to be in want, and then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country. And he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, now, this story is really, again, about the Pharisees, the older son. But this is also a beautiful story about repentance, about the prodigal coming to the father. And I want to, as I'm giving you the story, I'm going to give you, there's three steps to repentance. The first one is, he came to himself. He said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger? And he says, I will rise and go to my father. That's the second one. The first one, he recognized his need. He came to himself. He recognized he had a, He recognized he was in a bad place. He recognized his need. The second one is, he made a decision. I will rise and go to my father. Are you following me so far? Three steps to repentance. He first of all recognized his need. He came to himself. He realized he had a need. The second one, he made a decision. I will rise and go to my father. And I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your higher servants. And he arose and came to his father. That's the third step. So he first recognized he had a need. He then made a decision. And thirdly, he took action. He did it. He recognized his need. He made a decision. And he took action. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him. So God is always waiting for you. He's not hiding He's not caught by surprise when you come to repentance. He's been waiting. 
even while you were afar off, but when he was still a great way off. His father saw him and had compassion. His father, see, he didn't wait for the son to come all the way home. He ran. God ran. You think God doesn't run? You think he's just sitting there waiting, waiting until you get your life all together? No. When you make a decision to come in, he will run to you. Fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have no sin against heaven in your sight. <coughs> you are no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to him, he ignored everything his son just said. Bring out the best robe, the robe of righteousness. And put it on him. Put off the old man and put on the new man. Put on the armor of God. Put it on him. And put a ring of sonship on his finger. That means authority. That he's righteous. He's cleansed. He's my son. He has authority. And bring and on his hand and sandals on his feet. Servants do not wear sandals. But sons do. We have a sonship of God. And bring the fatted calf here and kill it. And let us eat and be married for my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And he began to be married. That's what Jesus was doing with these sinners. Okay. Now his older son. Now remember, we're talking about the Pharisees. Who complained, derided him. That's why he started these three parables. But the older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house. He heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked, What are these things, man? <coughs> Excuse me. And he said to him, your brother has come, and because he has received, he has received him safe and sound. Your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry. He wasn't glad his brother came home. He was angry, and he would not go in. Therefore, his father came out and pleaded with him. I mean, his father is representing God. God is imploring him, "Come in, love your brother, love one another." Okay? Believe in Jesus Christ and love one another as he's given commandment. But he would not go in. Believe with him. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I never transgressed your commandment at any time, and yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours, he didn't know him as his brother, this son of yours, you can hear a scoffing voice. Who has devoured your livelihood with harlots? You killed a fatted calf for him. And he, the father, said to him, the son, Son, you are always with me. And all that I have is yours. See, the prodigal thought he was... Go back. The prodigal thought he was unworthy... To be called a son because everything he had done wrong. And the older son thought he was worthy because of everything he had done right. He never once transgressed. And they're both wrong. We don't get to be his son or daughter because of everything we do right and we don't do wrong. We get to be his child because 
He loves us. It's called grace. It's called mercy. Okay. We are the righteousness of God in Him. And I hope you've seen that. See, he says to the older son, you're always with me. Anytime you wanted to have a fatty calf, you could have had one. And there's so much in the story I can piggyback off. But there's so many Christians who are listening to this message. So many of you, I don't, whatever your economic situation is, whatever is going on, so many of you are living far low to what you could always have because you, you're always with your father. And all that he has is already yours in Christ. So many of us are living far low. I know I am. I, I pray that my attitude's not like the older son. But I do know that there's been times in my heart of hearts. I, 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 don't, I know there's been times. Why are they getting their miracle and I haven't got mine? Why are they getting their breakthrough but I haven't got mine? That's just like the older brother. I might not have been like this where I wouldn't go in and celebrate with them. But in my heart of hearts... As I keep those thoughts to myself, I'm like, when am I next? And yet, he's always with me as he's with you. And everything we have, he, we need is already ours. See, when we, I wish I had it on here, when we have confidence towards God, we can ask anything in his name. When we know his love that surpasses knowledge, we're filled with the fullness of God. He's able to do a seat in the abundance of one more than we ask or imagine according to his power. That is at work in us. See, our righteousness is not based on our worthiness, but it's based on loving him. That we should love, know, the, believe on him, and love one another, abide in him. I, I don't have what I really wanted to say up here. Um, is this making sense? This whole message is about abiding in His love and being established in His love. See, let me move on from here by Isaiah. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, in the opening of prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of our vengeance to our God, to cover all who mourn. I'll pick it up here in just a second. How beautiful. We started this whole series about how beautiful upon the mountains are those who bring good news, good tidings. And we heal the brokenhearted. There's so many brokenhearted people out there. I see it on Facebook every day. The book where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is what? Freedom. And we get to proclaim that liberty. We get to proclaim that good news. We get to proclaim jubilee. This is jubilee language. And we proclaim the year of the, the year of the Lord. 
There's freedom. All your debts are paid. Because Jew Jesus is our Jubilee. That's a whole other message I don't have time to teach this morning. To console those who mourn in Zion. To give them beauty instead of ashes. The oil of joy for the morning. So many of you, you're mourning too long. God wants to give you the beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for the morning, the, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaven, that you may be called trees of righteousness. The planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. God wants to shine his righteousness in your life. He wants your life to be an advertisement of how he treats his kids. What he did for the prodigal, he'll do for you. Because you are always with him, and everything that he has is yours. Stop complaining about your brother and sister succeeding, and start receiving your blessing. Be a tree of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he is glorified. But he goes on, that they shall rebuild the old rooms. That they should raise up the former desolation. And they should repair the room cities. Your, your life might be a mess. But God wants you to, at, with the tree of righteousness, he wants you to rebuild the old rooms. The desolation of many generations. Strangers will stand and feed your flocks. And the sons of the foreigners shall be your plowmen and your vine dressers. I love that. Because God's going to build you crops. God's going to give you plowmen. You're not even going to do half the work. God is a good God, but you shall be named the priest of the Lord. See, the priests didn't do the work. They have work to do, but they have different work. And they shall call you the servants of your God. We are kings and priests of our God. You shall eat the riches of the Gentiles and their glory, and you shall boast. Instead of your shame, you shall have double honor. Some of you have had shame, but God's going to give you double honor. And instead of confusion, they shall rejoice in the present portion. And therefore, in the land, they shall possess double everlasting joy shall be there. There's so much here. I encourage you to read Isaiah chapter 61, especially the first seven verses. He goes on to say in Zephaniah, the Lord your God who's in your midst. We've, not, we've known and believed in the love of God. God's love has been manifested that we, he, we can live our lives through him. He's in our midst. He's not far off. The mighty one who will save. Say, what does save mean in the Hebrew? We're reading Zephaniah. The Hebrew, it means wholeness, healing, provision. It means deliverance. He's the mighty one to save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will be quiet you with his love. Some of you are frantic. Some of you are out of control in your emotions. God wants to quiet you with his love. He's in your midst. He will rejoice over you with singing. I love Zephaniah 3.17. I like it even better than Amplified. The Lord of God in the midst of you, a mighty one, a Savior who saves. He's not just a Savior. <coughs> He's a Savior because He saves. He heals. He makes you whole. He's your provider. He's your deliverer. He will rejoice over you with joy. He will rest in silent satisfaction in His love. God is satisfied with you. Why? Because of Jesus. He goes on to say, he will be silent and make no mention of past sins or even recall them. 
that 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 fits right with uh, Hebrews chapter eight and Hebrews chapter ten. God does not remember past sins. He will exalt you with seeing. How you mean? <coughs> do you know that God is singing over you? We worship and sing to God, but God is singing over you. What's God singing over you? Well, let me give you some examples. He brought me to his banqueting table. House and his banner over me was love. God's banner over you is love. I don't have time to explain banner, but when I think of banner, I think of here in the old wild west when people had a uh, got a homestead. And I, I saw this from a movie one time and but when they got to their homestead, they put a flag down. This is my land. And that might be a poor example for some of you. But God's saying, his banner over you is love because this one's been purchased. This is my homestead because I'm going to dwell in this life. And I'm going to do something beautiful in this life. His banner over you is love. It's more, more deeper than what I'm painting the picture right now. But that's one picture that comes to my mind. He goes on to say, my beloved is mine and I am his. He feeds his flock among the lilies. God, you are God's. And you, you, whether he's seen this to you or you're seeing this to him, it goes both ways. I am my beloved and he is mine. You are all fair, my love. There is no spot in you. God's seeing this over you. Because of his righteousness. Because of his propitiation, because of his love for you, you are all fair, my love. There is no spot in you. Why? Because of Jesus, your propitiation. If there's spot in you, Jesus is not a propitiation. He is just and justifying you who put your faith in Jesus. I want to end on this note. I'm already over. I'm going to end on this note. So 2 Corinthians 11, 2-3. Paul's writing to the church. That's us. Specifically the church of Corinth. He says, For I am jealous of you with a godly jealousy. For I have betrothed you to one husband. I should have capitalized that one. One husband, Christ. That I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. His love has been manifest in this way. That we live our life through him. We, he's, he's gotten Paul. And I'll pick it up here next week. God through Christ. Paul through his teachings through the gospel as an apostle. He's presented us. He's betrothed us. To Jesus as a chaste virgin. But he fears. Remember I said we don't fear? Fear brings torment. Perfect love casts out fear. He goes, bad fear. I believe it's a fear with a godly fear. Like a godly jealousy. I fear that somehow, as the serpent deceived Eve, how did Satan deceive Eve? Did God really say? Did God really say that if that 
Instead of, instead of believing God at his word, that we were already created in the image of God, in the likeness of God, he created man and female. Satan deceived her, saying, you have, in order to become like God, you have to partake of this fruit. And God says, if you partake of this fruit, you will surely die, because you're already like God. Satan was tempting Eve with something she already had. But she chose to believe a slithering snake. Well, it had feet at the time. It, had, it didn't lose its legs yet. Then he, she was to believe God. And he fears that the, as the serpent deceived Eve, by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that's in Christ. For if he who comes preaches another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or if you receive a different spirit, which you, which you have not received, or a different gospel, lower, lower G, which you have not accepted, you may well put up with it. Paul's saying, I fear that the same way that the devil deceived Eve and corrupted her mind from the simplicity that's in Christ. So we too would hear another Jesus, another spirit, another gospel. Not just hear it, but we put up with it. And with this I conclude. Again, I'll come back in a week. We actually the last couple of next week. Husbands love your wives just as Christ also loved the church. How did he love the church? He gave himself for her. That he might sanctify and cleanse her. He did the work. He died for her. He sanctified and cleansed her. We didn't sanctify and cleanse ourselves. God did. Christ sanctified us. He, he cleansed us. <coughs> he dies for us. With the washing of water by the word. That he might present her to himself. We didn't present ourselves to God. God presented us to himself. A glorious church. Not having spot or wrinkle or anything. But that she should be holy. And without blush. Who did, all, who, who did all the holiness? God did. Jesus did. We received it. Now that we're cleansed, go live like it. So husbands have to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife does not love himself. But no one ever has hated his own flesh, but nurtures and cherishes, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of the body, and his body, of his flesh, and his bone. We are one flesh with Christ. For this reason. For this reason. For this reason. This, uh, this whole God, Christ, dying for the church, cleansing the church, making the church holy, without spot or For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. See, this whole thing, we, we've adopted it to marriage, and it rightfully so. But this whole allegory of marriage, this whole reason why a man should leave his father and mother to be joined to his wife, is really being spoken towards Christ and the church. 
not about man and husband and his wife, even though it works for both. Marriage is an allegory of Christ's love, of Christ's love for the church. Him dying for her, him sanctifying and cleansing her, making her a glorious church, with holy, without blemish, being members of his body, being one flesh with God through Christ. He manifests his love that we would live our life through him just as a husband and wife are to live their lives through one another. And he's not speaking about marriage, even though this is a great marriage chapter. He's talking about Christ and the church because we are established in righteousness. We are established in the fullness of his love. I'll conclude with the ending of this next week and then we will start a new segment next week as well. And that new segment we will be talking about subtle beguilement. What I mean by subtle beguilement? Well, we're going to be going back to this beguilement here that we just we began to open up. And so we'll go back there starting next week. So anyway, you guys all make it a great week, and we will talk to you soon. God bless.